Hey, thanks for tuning in to a Sunday service. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. So who wants a healthy family? <laughs> I think all of us that have families uh, want to have a healthy family. It doesn't matter what part or role you play in that family. You want that family to be healthy because a healthy family uh, means less drama. I said a healthy family <laughs> means less drama. You know, that's a good thing, right? I mean, I know some people love drama. Not all people love drama. Uh, we love the drama we can control, not the drama we can't control. And so sometimes, you know, uh, a family's health is determined by how much drama is involved. And so we want to make sure that we limit the drama. But all of us want a healthy family, whether we are a son or a daughter, whether we are a husband or a wife, or whether we are a grandparent or a grandchild. We want there to be a healthiness within our families. And that's a good thing because it means so much more than, than just the drama thing, but it means your family is on the right track. And so we here at Embrace, we have one of our, our out of five core values that is healthy families. And we do our very best to invest as much as we can in resource, time, and energy in making sure families are healthy. And so we provide things like marriage counseling. I know a lot of times when people hear the term marriage counseling, they kind of shrink back a little bit. Well, time out, brother, anything's everything's good right now, Andy. I don't need counseling. There, there are primarily three main parts of counseling. There's preventive, there's maintenance, and then there's crisis counseling. What you don't want to have to have is crisis counseling. But we, we offer marriage counseling. We offer uh, discipleship processes for all ages. And we just want to be able to pour in to a family because we want there to be healthy family. And we're looking for this series of messages, Wholesome Families. And so what are some of the things that we've talked about thus far speaking about wholesome families? We looked in Genesis chapter 1 and saw how God... God wanted it. And if you look in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, you see that God created the perfect environment for the perfect situation for a man and woman who at that time were perfect. And then in Genesis chapter 3, all of it fell, right? When man fell into sin, sin came into the world and sin contaminated absolutely everything. You wonder why in the springtime your nose runs and your head hurts right here and you have that little short cough and you blame it on sinuses and allergies and all of that kind of stuff and rightfully so. But if we trace all of that back, it goes to Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve sinned and when the sin came into the world, so did disease and sickness and all of these other things. And so also with the family, why do we have such a mess in the home? Why is there such a plague, it seems, on the family and in our culture in particular? It's because of sin. Sin, whether it's direct or indirect, that, that's the problem with man is sin. And it all went back to Genesis chapter three. But we saw in the first couple of chapters that God wanted it a different way. God wanted the wife to be the helpmeet to the husband, the husband provider and protector of, of the family, the children to be able to grow up and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And if we're not careful, we can look at Genesis 3 and say, well, all of it's ruined. I want to remind you that there's something beyond Genesis chapter 3. There's this thing called the Gospels to where God decided to become man and do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves in keeping a standard only God could create and keep. He went to the cross. He died on the cross. He was buried. He 
rose the third day and as he has come to us through the person of his Holy Spirit revealing our sin to us through conviction, he says, here's your sin, but I've got an answer for your sin. It is my love and my forgiveness through the cross and resurrection. And what man has corrupted, only God can now recreate and make clean. And so there is hope for your family. You say, man, my family is in a mess. It's okay. If you put the key ingredient, which is Jesus, in the mess, then the mess will become a message and it'll be all right, right? <laughs> right? It's a, so we looked at how God wanted We looked in Proverbs 17, 1 on how you really want it. Everybody here wants peace, right? Every, uh, if you didn't want, let me ask this. How many of you guys got a recliner in your house? Yep. You want peace. Everybody, how many of you got a sofa, a spot on the couch in the living room, this place to where you go and you rest and you want peace, you want rest. And, and so we want really what God wants for us and, and God wants peace for you as well. Remember it says in Proverbs 17, 1, and I'm going to give you the Andy translation. You can live in a home that is absolutely wacky and eat a filet mignon. Or you can live in a home and eat just a simple salad and yet have peace. Which one do you want? Salad. Amen. Give me the salad, brother, any day. Better for me anyway, right? And so how, how you really want it, you want a place of peace and you want to be people of peace. And then the next Sunday, we looked at Nehemiah 4.14 and saw how the enemy wants it. And the enemy wants you destroyed. He doesn't want you to have any confidence. He wants to attack, attack your work and your worship. He wants to destroy the nucleus of the home, therefore tearing away the fabric of society. And the enemy is against you. There's no need for me to, to preach a long message on that because all we have to do is scroll through social media, turn on the news, and we see the bombardment from the wicked wicked world of Satan against the family and against the home. But then last Sunday, we looked in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12 through 16, and saw that we can go from broken to blessed. The fact of the matter is, there are very few, if any, and if there ever was any outside of Genesis 3 anyway, a model family anymore. All of us come from blended groups with blended minds and ideas, and, and, and we've got a, this, this unique nucleus of a family nowadays, and we can see to where God can step in to something that is broken and bring a blessing out of something that once is or was broken. And so God, what he asked you to do and what he asked me to do is just bring him all of our broken pieces. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I know I have with my kids and I know I've been that kid. I've been that kid to where in growing up in my home, if I would break something, you guys remember I'm one of nine. I'm one of nine that come from a blended family. My mom had two kids. My dad had two kids. Then they got married and started with me and had five. So there's a lot of us in the home. And, and we, oftentimes we lived in very small homes and there was just knickknacks all over the place. I'll never forget so many times walking through the house, knocking something over because I am not average size. I'm a little bit above Average height, my wingspan's a little bit different. I can't do this through most hallways. But as a kid, you want to, right? And so there were so many times I would knock something over and break it. It was mom's knickknack. She loved it. I know she bought it at a garage sale for 50 cents. She loved it. And so I gather it up and I would take it to my room and I would try to put it back together. And uh, uh, <laughs> it ain't work. And it's all messed up. And I'd take it and I'd put it on the shelf like, like it's all good. 
And I remember one instance in particular where my mom told me, she said, if you would have just brought all the broken pieces to me, I would have forgiven you. And I think about our relationship with God, how we huddle ourselves in a corner with our little lives and our little mess and all the broke pieces and all the broke pieces of family and we find this super glue that's not gonna work and we can't fit it all back into place and then we put it on the shelf and act as though it's okay and God's saying the whole time, you're trying to fix what you can't fix, quit trying to fix what you can't fix, bring it to me and I can fix it for you, right? And so how foolish does the knickknack look now when we try to do it? as compared to when God does it. And so we can bring God our brokenness and God can bring from our brokenness this blessedness that will blow our mind. This morning we're gonna talk about from beginning to abounding. And I think that's what all of us really want is, is that family of peace, that, that, that family that God pictured to us in Genesis 1 and 2. We want a healthy family and a healthy family is not a family that's drowning in drama but instead a family that is abounding. You think about what, what abounding looks like. I've got a video I want to show you. It's about an 18-second clip. Ellis, if you would, lower the lights. Emily, cue the video. And this is what abounding may look like. One of God's greatest creations... The strawberry. What? My goodness, man. Some angel food cake, some whipped cream, some strawberry. It has nothing to do with the video. Let me get back on subject. So what we saw there, though, was, was this, this video uh, day by day, the recording of this strawberry plant on how, how it grows and how it develops and how it leads to the point to where it was nothing more than a seed in the ground that came up as a green shoot. It was nourished and it was overseen. It was watered and it was cared for. And then ultimately it began to bear fruit. You and I are supposed to do that in our personal walks with Jesus as Christians. But do you understand that that is so applicable can be applied to our family just as well. Husbands for wives and wives for husbands, we want to see each other grow, not just physically and emotionally and mentally and intellectually and spiritually and in every area possible, and then parent for children and so forth. I've got a verse I want to share with you. I'm going to pluck this one verse out of 11 verses that we're going to look at. Psalm chapter 128, verse 3. If you got your Bible, you can turn there. Psalms is in the middle of the Bible. It's an Old Testament book. And Psalms, if you say the word Psalm, you have spoken Hebrew. It just simply means a song. And so here the psalmist writes, Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine, like what we just saw in that video. <coughs> vine, by the the sides of thine house, thy children like olive plants around thy table. This is a psalm of David, we believe. And this is called a psalm of degrees. In other words, in music, there are high points and there are low points. We just sang several songs. And if you'll notice, in the songs that we sang, there were different degrees. Now, guys, the reason that I'm not up here playing and singing is because I can't. And I don't really understand all of that music mumbo jumbo, but man, I know this. When music don't sound good, it's terrible. And when music sounds great, I love it. What about you? There's, there's a couple of things that people can be extremely opinionated over, politics and music. You ever notice that? 
But, but this, this song of degrees actually begins, for David's writing at least, in Psalm 124, and it goes all the way to Psalm 130. And in this song that is sung, it has the highs and lows, not just highs and lows musically as the instruments rev up and the voices get a little bit louder or they may go soft and the voices go softer, but even in a theological sense, our studying of God, understanding of who God is, there, there is in reaction to the songwriter times to where he is up and where he is down and to where God's recognizing those moments of up and those moments of down and he is the same God in those times to where everything is good and in those times to where everything is bad. And so if we see that anywhere, we definitely see it in the book of Psalms. But David is writing and he talks about this this amazingness of the family, right in between this songs of degrees, the highs and lows, the ups and downs, the inflections and, and so forth, God inspires David in Psalm 127 and 128 to speak specifically about the family, almost like he's putting a hinge on the door of praise to God by using the thought of the family. I want to read real quickly these 11 verses in Psalm Psalm 127 and 128. I think, yeah, they're going to be on the board there. This is what the psalmist David says. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city. The watchman waketh but in vain. Now, I can just about guarantee you, if you have ever been a parent of a small child, verse number two is fixing to really get next to you. This is where you're going to find either comfort or conviction. You ready? <laughs> It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. I'm, I'm speaking to some parents right now, some, some infants, some babies, and, and you guys know that when you bring that baby home, that baby just sits there and kind of coos and awls, and everything's wonderful there for a stretch of time, and then the nightmare comes. And the baby seems to cry at everything and you can't get the baby to be quiet no matter if it's got a new change of diaper or it's just been recently fed. And, and, and so it just seems like sleep or rest is so hard to get close to or grasp. And I know that several times when our kids were smaller, I would revert back to this verse and I would say to God, God, but am I your beloved? Am I, am I ever going to get sleep, Jesus? Verse three goes on and says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Children, they shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemy in the gate. Those two verses are real important on how we're raising our children and what we should be raising our children for. Verse one of chapter 20, 128 says, blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord and walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The the Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and, shalt thou, and thou shalt see good uh, of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And this verse has just really been hitting home for me lately. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. You're not always supposed to take a psalm as a promise, but I'm definitely taking that one. Because I'm at the stage in life to where I'm so ready to be a grandfather. Sorry, kids. <laughs> I am. Looking forward to it. 
And so when we read these 11 verses and we're thinking about from beginning to abounding, all of us want our families to abound. This is a great prescription. This is, this is a great passage that helps us see Yes, I want to abound, but how do I know that I am abounding? What is my measurement of being able to see that I as a family, my part in the family, that we are a abounding family from beginning to end? Well, I think you've got to ask yourself a few questions as you read back through these two chapters to see whether or not you're an abounding family. And the first question is this, what's up? What's up? <clears throat> I don't know anybody here ever uses that anymore, but whenever I see my friends, most of the time, matter of fact, I text the guy this morning who texted me and just in response of texting, I said, what's up? What's up can mean a whole lot of different things in different contexts, but in my context, what I'm saying is, what are we talking about? What do you mean? What do you need, right? What's, what's up? Where are you coming from? You know, because you don't always know where everybody else is coming from. Where are you coming from with this? And so the follow-up question to what's up is, are we happy? And now, I know that, that happiness is not the ultimate goal in life, period, right? I mean, you've got to be real careful to whom you go and counsel with and you stress the idea of being happy. Some people live in some very disparaging places in, in life and it's going to be very hard for them to find any kind of ray of hope of happiness. So you've got to be real careful when, when, you, when you define or, or attempt to make happiness an ultimate or main goal. It can't be a main goal, but it can be a goal, right? Because all of us appreciate being happy sometimes. I don't know too many people, I know some, I don't know too many people who just love waking up every morning, being sad, down, discouraged, Eeyore. Eeyore. If, they can't, if, they, if it's not raining on their head, they're looking for a cloud for it to rain on their head, right? It's all chicken little, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, right? There's a few but, but if we're all honest, even if we don't show it or know how to show it on the outside, most all of us are Tigger. Huh? Yeah. We, we want to be happy and, and clappy and bouncy, and we, we, we want that. And, and I know personality kind of keeps that shy away from some people, but just about every human being on the planet. As a matter of fact, we have formed a country over 200 and something years old that says we have the right to pursue happiness. <laughs> it's because we, we want to be happy, and I'm here to tell you that that God is not against your happiness. If you're, if you're not careful as a, as, a, as a husband, as a dad, as a Christian, as a mom, as, as, a, as a wife, as a, sometimes as a Christian, we, we think that God doesn't really want us to be happy in certain areas of life. God wants you to be happy, absolutely. It, to him, is not necessarily his main goal for you either, but he definitely wants you to be happy. And how do we know that? Well, there's... So many different passages of Scripture that speak about this. But if we go back to our main passage, we'll look in Psalm 127, verse 5, and see where it says, Happy is the man whose quiver is full of children. Now, now I'm just going to step to the side and say everybody's quiver can hold different amount of arrows. Huh? If your quiver can hold 12 arrows, get it done. You know what I'm saying? Mine held four. As a matter of fact, after we read this, read the passage of Scripture where God says, be fruitful and 
multiply. We figured we did our part for no more was our theme. <laughs> but I found happiness in the fact that my quiver is full of children. And, and not just children, but, but, but my children to whom I, I, I look over and, and I love and I encourage and I, I'm happy as a response to this. But there's other words that also blend to the thought of happiness, that God wants to be happy as a family. He says in Psalm 128 verse 1, blessed is everyone that fears the Lord. He says in verse 2, happy shalt thou be. He says in verse 4, blessed that fear the Lord. He says in verse 5, the Lord shall bless thee. And you say, Andy, why are you taking the word bless and acting it as though it's the same word as happy? Because in the original language, happy and bless both are defined as the same thing, which says, how happy can you be? I mean, it has the idea of just an overpouring of happiness, right? When, 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 when you have a baby that is born into your family, as a matter of fact, I was just with someone the other day who had new grandbabies in their family. And back, back in the day before there were cell phones, right? We'd pull that wallet out and say, look. But now it's the cell phone. And, and, and the woman was there and she said, show them the grandkids. And he's like, what? And, On your phone. And pulls out the phone. And all of a sudden there's, there's beautiful grandbabies and, and beautiful babies and we're we're blessed, and God says, I want you to be happy. Happiness doesn't come the way we oftentimes thinks, think that it, that it comes. If, if we're not careful, one of the downfalls of our family can be that happiness is coming through things instead of people. Let me ask you this question. Do, are you happy when you get something new? It's not wrong to say, yeah, everybody gets happy when they get a new car, right? That usually lasts, at least in my case, for at least four to six weeks. You say, why four to six weeks? Because in four to six weeks, they're going to send me the bill for that, right? <laughs> Everybody enjoys something new and, and, and material things. It, it definitely can comfort us and it, it can make, put, put it like this. If I go home this afternoon and my power is off and I haven't, you know, sent a note to Southern Pine and my power is off, I'm not going to be real happy, Right? We, we, can, we can so put our happiness in things to where society and culture and just life in general can rob away so many more opportunity for us to be happy. When we begin to focus the aim of our happiness and the results of our happiness instead of on material things and possessions to people and see that people are what's most important anyway, that's, that's what makes me happy. That's what makes you happy is, is our relationships when our relationships or in the right place, lived out in the right way. When me and my wife are getting along, things are happy. When me and my children are, are getting along, then, then things can be happy. And so what I want, obviously, is in my family, there this cohesiveness and this peace and this togetherness and this one direction and, and all of this that, that, that adds to the health of my home and not saying that we're ignoring reality or ignoring troubles. No, you can actually even be happy in helping those in your home go through these troubles and these problems, right? And so 
So this, this, these two, two passages are teaching us as Christians that, that in the home we, we can be happy. True and lasting happiness comes from loving one another with the intent that God loved us and being content in that. Seeing that, that even though the, the new is worn off of the relationships that there can be great value in the old of the relationship, knowing that we're there for one another and that we love one another and that we're committed to one another and that we're content with one another. So you have to ask yourself the question, what's up? Are we happy? But then you have to ask another question, what's wrong? Are we healthy? And of course, I know that's the broad thought this morning. We're talking about wholesome families and healthy family makeup and making sure that, that after the fall through Christ, we're still living a life to where it exemplifies Jesus through our relationships, right? The way I love my wife, I want the world to see that I'm a follower of Jesus. The way I love my children, I want the world to to see that I'm a follower of Jesus. And so making sure that we're living in a healthy manner. But the fact of the matter is all of us fall into caveats in life to where we're not exactly, we're not exactly healthy. How many of you guys have ever gone through a spout of not being healthy? Uh, probably all of us have. Let, let me, how many of y'all had COVID? Uh-huh. I ain't asking if you got it now. I'm saying if you had it, Right. How many of you had a stomach virus before in life? How many of you had the common cold in life? How many of you woke up this morning and you heard more pops and you thought you put snooze on the alarm clock and then realized it's not the alarm clock still going off, it's your back, right? Yeah. There's seasons in life and things that, that just create this unhealthiness that, that, that this physical body is not supposed to always be healthy, but... But when you do find a time to where you're not feeling as you should be feeling, there's not the healthiness that you desire, you begin to ask questions. You begin to investigate. Why am I not healthy? Why is my body doing what my body is doing? I need to find an answer to why my body is treating me the way it's treating me because it's keeping me from living a life that I want to live, keeping me from some of that happiness as well. And so... So we've got to ask what's wrong. I wonder if there's anybody in this room this morning who is willing enough to invest enough in their family, love their family enough to ask the question, even during if you're in a good season of life, ask the question, what's wrong right now? What, what's, what's wrong right now? In other words, how can we get to a, a greater place of health? How can we make sure that, that mentally and emotionally and spiritually and relationally and all else that we can, we can be in a, in a healthy place? I'm going to speak to the dads for just a moment. I know it's a couple of Sundays away from Father's Day, and we're excited about Father's Day. Still going to complete this series of messages on Father's Day. But, but I wonder how many fathers we feel like or husbands, we feel like our main responsibility, or maybe our only responsibility, is just to make sure that uh, our family has food on the table and clothes on the back and we're providing. To, to make sure that the robber doesn't break into our house in, in the middle of the night and, and we, we're going to protect our family. If that's the only two things that we're supposed to do is protect and provide physically for our family. Guys, let me say this to you. Men, you are the head of your home. You are to lead your home strong with the word of God. 
And that means that you are to minister not just to the physical need of your family, making sure that they've got food, clothes, and shelter, that they are protected from those who might break into your home, but that you make sure emotionally your children and your spouse, they are well invested in. <laughs> I know that sometimes we come from the families that, that, that when we grew up in families, just nobody said, I love you. And so emotionally, there's a little bit of warpness in that because we came away from that thinking, well, you know, if that was something we said, we said it very rarely and, and not sure 100% if it was ever meant. And, and so we're distanced ourselves from that. And what we're doing is not breaking that generational curse, but instead we're continuing that curse by thinking, well, I'm just not the type of personality to say it a whole lot. Hogwash. Invest in your children emotion. Let your children know that you love them and that you are proud of them. Husbands, let your, let your wives know that you love them and that they are number one in your life outside of Jesus. Right? I've said this before. I'm just going to say it again real quick. Guys, if you go to a restaurant and you call the waitress honey and your wife the old lady, you got a problem. You just got a problem. There's a reverse in roles and it starts in the mind and it came from the heart and you got to get that heart right. And so make sure that Laurie knows that I can love her best when I love Jesus first, but I'm going to love my wife above anybody else on this planet. And I'm proud of her and I'm thankful for what she does for, for me, ministry, for others and my kids and just to invest in that and, and see emotionally the health of those in your home raise up. If we're always saying how bad things are and never talking about how good things are, that's bringing down the level of health in our home. To instead be encouraging and lifting people up. I'll never forget times in my life to where I became shamefaced of being out in public as a pastor, encouraging everybody around me and then get home and then complain because the dishes wasn't done or homework wasn't finished. Or whatever it might have been. And by the way, homework for us is homeschool. We've always homeschooled. That wasn't finished. You see what I'm saying? And, and, and so everybody else gets this. And to come home and, and to bring in the negativity. I was just teaching this past Thursday night in our ministry class and, and reminding the importance of the home and the family. And a, and a minister has to make sure that they put their family uh, before their activity in the church. And, and, and just reminding us that that if, if, if you mess it up with your family, you've messed it up with your ministry, your family has to be of great importance, but you have to pour into your family as much or more ministry as you would pour into anyone else for the sake of the health of your home, right? So sometimes we have to ask that question, what's, what's wrong? And it's okay to ask that question often, even when you feel like things are going well. What's wrong? Are we healthy? You go back to Psalm 127 and you look in those first four verses and it says, except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain that build them. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. This, this verse is saying nothing more than you have a responsibility, but God has the greater ability of blessing your ability. You as a, as a part of your family in your home, do your part and be careful to watch how God does his part. God will never, 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 never fail in his part. He will never fail. He is always faithful. Except the Lord build the house. I can do my best to do, build, build my own house. But except the Lord build it, the, they that labor, labor in vain. Except the Lord keep the city, they waketh in vain that watch it. In verse 2, 
Of course, you, we've already talked about it. It's vain for you to rise up early to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Uh, one thing that we've done our best to teach our children is to make sure that you use appropriate time to deal with appropriate things. Whenever you misappropriate your time and your things, then you're going to live this verse right here. <laughs> you misappropriate your time and your things, you get to procrastinating and not doing what you're supposed to do, dads, moms. Well, Golly, Lord, help me. When we find ourselves scrolling through Facebook more than we do searching the scriptures, and then we wonder why life is the way it is, we misappropriate time and activity. It's vain for you to rise up early, sit up late. Uh, you'll eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. And, and then in verse 3, Lo, children are heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. And how grateful it is when God blesses us with children as arrows in the hands of a mighty man. So are the children of his youth. And so arrows in the hands of a mighty man, referencing that we are to put our children in the bow and then let our children go. The hardest thing for us to do is not put our kids in the bow. Who's there? Who's been there? It's the hardest thing is letting them arrows go. Now, it, when I say the hardest thing, I'm really talking to the moms. The dads are like, bro, it's eight, you 18. <laughs> you know, we're supposed to have some plans by now. 19 means you're paying rent. Right? <laughs> 128 says in verse 3, I'm not going to read all these, but verse 3 and verse 9 talks about the fruitfulness of your home. Your wife will be like the, the olive tree or, or, or the vine and the kids, the olives around your table. Verse 6 says that you're going to be blessed to see your children's children in, in peace on, on Jerusalem. And, and so what really these verses are talking about, there's three admissions of deficiency that we can't protect and provide as only God can protect and provide. We're supposed to work and rest in his provision and protection, but then there's four admissions of posterity. And posterity just means that there is a heritage that is following after you. Know this, mom and dad, that one day you will die. You're going to die one day. Uh, it's just the cycle of life. It's just the reality that it's appointed a man wants to die and after this, the judgment. And when you die, you're leaving the world your inheritance through your children. Not talking about bank accounts or broke down four-wheelers. I'm talking about, maybe that was just me, <laughs> but leaving them behind. See, the greatest thing you can leave behind is not your things, but the lives in which you affected, leaving them behind. And that is the ingredient you're leaving to the world. So, so being very careful and making sure that you're doing everything you can, not to be distracted with the things of this world, but be investing in the lives of your children and your home so that your home, as you often ask the question, what's wrong? Are we healthy to get back on health if you're not healthy? And so in this four admissions of posterities, he's saying, you know, you're, you're going you're gonna to let these arrows go. They're going to speak with the enemies in the gate. There, there, there are going to be olives around your table. There's, they're, they're, they are going to be left for the peace of Israel. Now, in the context of what David is saying, David was a Jew. He was in Jerusalem. He is speaking to Israel. And we're speaking to Scott County, Mississippi, 
Who says this morning, Scott County needs some help? Mississippi needs some help. Yeah. And so we help by more than just the things we build with our hands, but the people we invest with our lives. And so as we ask ourselves, what's up? Are we happy? What's wrong? Are we healthy? It leads us to the last question, which might be the most important question of what's next. Are we, are we holy? Are we holy? What, is the, what does the word holy even mean, right? The, the, the Hebrew writer says, without holiness, no man shall see God. And Jesus says, be therefore perfect or complete or holy as your father is holy. Peter says the same thing. Can you imagine Peter, the guy that so many times got it wrong that he didn't get it right. And now he's writing and he says, be therefore holy as your father is, as the Lord is holy. What, what, is, what does it mean to be holy? Does it, does it, did, did, I, did I mess up and not put a second word after the word holy? Should it have been roller after that? Uh, make sure that we're that family. You know, we're going to be the holy rollers. And, and by the way, it's not necessarily a bad thing to be called a holy roller, depending on who you're getting called that by. But are we, are we living with the pursuit of purity in every possible way in our home? Are we keeping out what needs to stay out and are we inviting in what needs to come in? <laughs> here, here the, the psalmist David, he's, he's writing in 128 verse 1 and, and verse 4, he says this, Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord and walks in his ways. Verse 4, Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that fears the Lord. There's, there's two phrases in these two verses. Fear the Lord and walks in his ways. Holiness is when th these two things combine, right? It's the idea of when my, my heart and my hands begin to match up. When my intentions and my actions are the same wavelength. That's when holiness happens. At least practically. You guys know that the only way that we are made holy, pure and right, is before the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, received into our life, welcomed, and as we live in an obedient manner of following him practically. You see, positionally, we're made holy through salvation. Practically, we're made holy because every single day we wake up and we choose to follow Jesus. It is a choice. It is a decision that you have to make. And it really works out great when everybody in the home wakes up feeling the same way. Never forget whenever Easton and Eli, I'm going to go ahead and tell on them this morning. I usually try not to tell personal families and give names, but it was Easton and Eli. <laughs> we were raising them. I don't know if Emma Grace and Ellis were, were born yet, but we were in McGee. We lived in McGee. And I taught my children really, really well earlier on. I let them know that I was a McGee Trojan and Mendenhall is our rival. And they're the tigers and they're bad. Most everybody in Mendenhall is not saved. And so certainly the school system. And so I taught them the right thing growing up. So they have a disdain for Mendenhall. They've not been to Mendenhall too many times. And so, <laughs> and so one day, one day, Easton and Eli wake up and Easton was in a bad mood. I mean, he was just in a terrible mood. I mean, he wasn't but three or four, you know, but that's even worse than a 40-year-old's mood, by the way. And so he wakes up and he's in a bad mood and, and we're all trying to navigate through that and Eli finally looked over at him and said, he must have woke up on the wrong side of Mendenhall. <laughs> and I said, God, you are speaking. 
Uh, <laughs> but when everybody wakes up and it's everybody's full intention every day, we're going to serve the Lord. We're just going to follow the Lord. It's going to cost us some things, and we're not always going to be welcomed in places, and it's not going to be a popular thing. But we're going to wake up, and together we're going to serve the Lord. It doesn't matter what the latest news headlines suggest that we do in our home. What we're going to do is we're going to wake up every single day, and we're going to let this book dictate our steps, and we're going to live by the Spirit of God, and we're going to share Jesus with the lost around us, and we're going to pray fervently in our our lives and we're just going to love and share Jesus and walk with Jesus. And when we do that, when we do that, the what's next is always seeking God in purity, seeking him in holiness. What can I do best for my family? Yeah, man, it would be great if I had enough money to leave my kids and they could all live comfortably for the rest of their life. That would be, that, I'm sure that would be great. That would make them happy, right? Make me happy. To be able to leave my kids land and houses and money and cars and all of these things. That, that would be okay. But what's greater than that? Leaving my kids an example of how to be a father that loves their mama and does his best for them and lives for Jesus and desires healthiness in my home and leaves for them a legacy in which they can pass along for their children and their children and their children, a legacy of truth to where that cycle of generational sin can be broken. Guys, you know that I come from a long lineage of alcoholics, but it stops here. It stops now. It's not going to go down this lineage. Instead, this lineage is going to be a line of preachers of the gospel for Jesus. They're dedicated to the Lord. They're surrendered to him. It's a pursuit of holiness. We're just going to run after Jesus the best we can.